Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. So welcome to the latest edition of our We Have Ways podcast. This is marking the 75th anniversary of Operation Market Garden. And Al and I have just been careering through Arnhem Town, and I have to put my hand up. I led him down a bus route. I don't know how many tra- traffic violations we have accrued. We're probably going to not be... Just as well we're in Holland today, we're never going to be allowed back in. Well, I looked, I, when we were sort of stopped behind one bus, um, I looked across at someone waiting to get on another one, and she just looked at me and just shook her head <laughs> in, in weird. Well, we're going to get red flagged. Anyway, anyway where, so where we're, we're, we are, right? Yeah, this is a really nice little leafy suburb with sort of yeah. low um, brick houses, yeah. um, trees lining them, cobbled streets. I mean, it's really... Sort of garden really suburb very, style. Garden suburb style, yeah. And to really our nice. right, at the end of this road, is the St. Elizabeth Hospital. Right. Which famously became the... the the hospital during the battle, the dressing station for both yeah. sides, a neutral ground. Up at the end of the road that we're looking up, yeah. right, which is called, let me just, I should know this, but I don't, which is called Moritzstraat. Yeah. At the end of the road, you can see there's a train. So there's the railway yes. line up there, and yes. it's, it's slightly lower, so it's in a mm-hmm. cutting. So what the Germans did, because this road runs west to east yep. into Arnhem, the hospital's in the direction of Arnhem. What the Germans did is they put machine guns MG42s at the top of each of these roads, 
in the cutting, dug into the cutting. So any movement they saw... So you, was, could, you could squat behind that in complete, pretty much safety. Well, a periscope even, you know. Yeah. And they were firing down each of these roads. And this is a, it's a grid, this estate. Yeah. So they had complete... Running north-south. Right, yeah, so the only way down this street was through these houses, inside these houses. Got you. But you've got... Stug's the other side. So yeah. uh, uh, many years ago, I interviewed Jimmy Clemenson, who was a captain in one of the parachute battalions. I ought to know, I don't. I think three para. And he told the story of working their way through these houses. They didn't know who else was here. They didn't know what else was going on. But they knew perfectly well if they came in this street, they were in trouble. And he, he sees two people running down the street, right? And he thinks, hang on a minute, that's the brigadier, <laughs> Lathbury, <laughs> and the general, right? What the... What, what on earth's going on? And he says, don't run, whatever you do, get in the house, don't run there. And it, bah, from the other end of the street, and Lathbury's hit in the spine, nicked in the spine. So they drag him along this road here, up Morris Strutt. Yeah. And... But, but, but what about the machine gunner? Well, they're, they're on a, they're, you know, they're, they're going like the clappers, they're doing what they can. Right? Okay. They go round this corner, and you'll see that the, these houses have little gardens and little yes. back alleys behind them. Yep. They go round this corner, yep. into here. Wow. Oh, this is exactly as it was? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. I mean, I expect this is new woodwork, but you, you, can, you yep. can easily picture it. Yep. People's back gardens, bins, round here. And I'm sure they're sick of people doing this. Into this, this into this house. Oh, my goodness me. There it is. And there they hole up. Clemenson and Urquhart. And this Lathbury's, is on the Lathbury's, night of the 17th? This is, uh, yeah. This Evening of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, no, it's, it's in the morning of the, of the 18th. 18th, the early morning. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't get out until the, until the 19th. 19th, early morning. So he's yeah, yeah, later hours. Yeah, basically, yeah. Roughly. Out of, oh. out of the picture, they think he's dead. They just have no idea. They have no idea. The Germans, the Germans figure out he's missing, so they're broadcasting on loudspeakers. Your general's gone. But Stug parks outside. There's the yeah, whole amazing, business where a German, yeah. a German appears at the doorway and they all shoot him. So Urquhart drew his pistol and killed a man at, at Arnhem. One of the, yeah, point, you know. And there's the, he goes, well, I, I got him. And they all go, I think we all did, actually, sir. <laughs> yeah. By the way. Um, and, and this is it. So we'll go around the front. That's amazing, isn't it? And it's marked. They, they've, um, they call it Urquhart's They call house. it Urquhart House. There's a plaque on the front. And it's sort of, you know... If ignominy, That's amazing, isn't if it? ignominy is your thing, we're in... Sort of we're in so we're in trail of blood with, with Lathbury. Yeah, him paralysed, because he was paralysed by the shot, so they're dragging him round, and the Dutch, the Dutch squirrel him away and get him, and get him in, I think get him into the hospital. But you have this thing with patrols coming through here, German patrols, and, you know... Got his knife-edge stuff, isn't a stug, it? A stug parked here outside. Urquhart House, number 14. There you are. That's absolutely amazing, isn't it? And so he just holed in up the loft in the attic there. there. Yeah, yeah. In the garret. Yeah. And I think that's a loft conversion. I don't think it had the charming dormer windows at the time. So they really are in a they're in a sloped tiled roof. And there's the hospital and there's the railway line. And there's the MG42. And, and there there is the main road into Arnhem and yeah. that's that's how wide the front line is here. Right. The four battalion front yes. line, that's how wide it is. The, these new buildings here, I think, if, I th if I'm right, I think they're the open ground where one of the, on the, on the Tuesday, um, uh, they, they, they were caught, a bunch of guys were caught in the open and mortared and wiped out. Right. 
So you and Urquhart does get away. Urquhart does back. escape back, back well, by escapes, the morning of the nineteenth. He, he escapes because of the the, the 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 push through on the morning of the nineteenth to try and push into the town. And in the pandemonium, the Stug drives off. Um, powers are everywhere, and and out he comes. And they're all going. We thought you was dead, sir. And he jumps in a jeep, jeep, and drives back to. Hartenstein, yeah, to the Ustabich, the Hartenstein, to find that his two brigade commanders are having a massive, massive Barney. Barney about who's in charge and what they should do next. Anyway. It's incredibly atmospheric, isn't it? Yep. I mean, it really is because you can sense that this hasn't changed much. That, that yeah. although we've got modern cars here, and there's obviously more cars than there would have been back in yeah. 1944, that essentially you're looking at one and the same vista. That's it. And and the geography is yelling is howling at you, shouting at you, how narrow a front line this yes, is. Yes, it right? is, isn't it? Because we'll walk down here. So, to... so it is between the railway line and the road? Well, so we'll walk to the road, and I'll show you, the, 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 cause, because this is also basically where the road splits and where you have the, you have a road that runs along the river and a road that run, yes. r- runs along 100 feet above it. And so Frost & Co take the lower one, right? That, that's what they've done, in, yeah, originally. But, yep. but, but, but on, the, on the Monday, the attacks coming through here on the Tuesday, they're, they're pinioned by this geography. So you've got the railway yep. line back there, St- sending and fire down. And they know this geography beforehand, but they've just sort of effectively disregarded it. Well, no, they don't it, expect they? to be fighting here. They're, they're, just, expect they're not. They're they expecting expect, to be a walkover. They expect to jog through here and and probably actually use this geography as a blocking line themselves um, if they've taken control of the town. So we'll, so look, well, because you've got this very steep embankment, and at the time it wasn't covered in trees. It's covered in trees now, but it wasn't. It was open. So it was bare. It was completely bare, bare down to the river. Which means down How to the river. How far the river from here? Not very far. Oh, it's a couple of hundred meters. Okay, well, that's, um, that's nice. And it's a very all, steep. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know, a 70 degree angle, very, very steep. And you can see, we're, we're just, we're just a couple of hundred split, yards yeah. from where it splits, where it goes down. Yes. So they, so basically. You take the high road, I'll take the low road. You take the high road, I'll take the low road. This is, this is the place called, that was known as the pavilion, which is right. where they, where the start line was for one of the, for, for who, I think one power on the lower road and three at the top. They didn't know each other were there. They didn't know they were putting attacks in. They put the attacks in anyway. You've got this neutral space of the hospital, so they've got to come around the hospital. Yeah. They've got to infiltrate somehow to get past there. And then this is all clear, and you've a brickworks down there full of flak. And you, it, it, and the, I mean, again, it's this thing. How on earth, especially on the, the Tuesday, on the second day, where they've absolutely been, they've been taken a real kicking on the Monday trying to push through here. The Tuesday morning they they do it they try and do it again. And you know what's going on there? Like But also but being here just completely underlines how isolated Frost and Co are over yeah. at the bridge. Because yeah, yeah. because you can see up here you've got you've got the enemy, you've got the Germans. You're just not getting anywhere. Yeah. You've got enemy on the other side of the railway line. And, Frost and, and the bridge and, yeah. and Co at the bridge, they're in that little tiny little pocket yeah, yeah. completely surrounded. Yeah. They, 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 may, they, they, they may as well not be there, but given given yeah. you know the Germans have, the Germans there's a blocking line further back where the, where the, where, the, where the, basically the embankment ends and there's, there's houses either side of the road, so it's a proper choke point. And and, the, and there's the museum, which is as far as the south. So the south staffs are sent in, yep. are fed into so this. They're from the Airlandi Brigade. Yeah, Airlandi Brigade. And they're sent and they're heavier armed. You know they've got they've got more support weapons because and there's a thousand guys in a, uh, uh, an air landing infantry battalion, and they're pushed into here and they get as far as there's a building called the museum back there, a big white building, and all the photos are famously of the of the uh, iron fence, you know, the iron pronged fence, which is still there, the same fence. And that's as far as they got when they basically thought we, we, we can't go any further. There's the very, very um, famous picture of them giving the Vs to the German propaganda cameraman because by, by this point the Germans know they're onto a winner. So 
but here's your geography. Here's why the push into the town can't work. Yeah. Because yeah. because I can see the train. Yes. And I and through the trees which weren't there, I can see the river. You're absolutely sandwiched here, aren't you? You're totally sandwiched. You're you you're, you're sandwiched, exposed, and there's nowhere to go. And you're trying to force through, force four battalions through here, trying to hold one in reserve, trying to then yeah. leapfrog each other and all that. And and you know you don't know house from house, who's where and what. And, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up in the accounts is, you know, we, we used to exercise in Salisbury Plain. We didn't do fighting <laughs> yes. through towns. It's just we extraordinary, it. isn't it? Urban ops, they're always terrifying. And then, of course... I mean, are you talk to any soldiers, they'll always... I mean, contemporary soldiers, they'll say, you know, any kind of sort of urban fighting is just an yeah. absolute nightmare. Yeah. Of course, that's what makes Stalingrad such a yeah. nightmare as well. Yeah. But one then, thing I would say is that's really interesting is that all over Arnhem, there are airborne, airborne yeah. flags. And the odd so, union, know, the union, union Jack as well. Union yeah. Jack as well. Yeah. Uh, you know the claret and the, and the blue of, of the Pegasus, the yeah. airborne flag. They're literally everywhere. No, it's everywhere. I mean, no, I haven't seen this many flags and, since I was in America. And you'll see in shop windows as well. Veterans welcome here. Incredible. Um, uh, and are these out a lot of the time, or is this just because no, it's seventy fifth? Well, I've only ever been here in September, so I can <laughs> I can't I can't tell you. But um, anyway, so then the battle ends here and they, they head west, they flee from here and you've got a stream of men heading back down that way, back up the Utrecht Veg, back to um, the, the couple of miles back to Oosterby and, uh, and they form the perimeter. And now you're about to head off and go and walk the perimeter, yeah. aren't you, around yeah. Oosterby and I'm heading off Nijmegen Way. Lovely. Right, so um, we're at the... Oudekerk, old church, which is at um, the bottom of the Oosterbeek perimeter, if you see what I mean by that. If you imagine it's a thumb, so I'm holding my thumb up right now, it, uh, my right thumb, it's the bottom right-hand corner of the thumb. And obviously this church is a big, strong, solid building, so it made an ideal strong point, but more importantly, it's on the road along the bottom of the Oosterbeek perimeter so it's the road that runs from Arnhem to out of Arnhem that's the last road before the river which is I think about four five hundred meters that way maybe not maybe not even that far four let's say 400 meters that way and it's all open country there so this is this is the absolutely crucial point that has to be held to keep the Germans from basically lopping the perimeter off from contact with the river and escape or relief, depending on, because no one knew what, what they were going to do. So what you've got here is famously is where Major Dickie Lonsdale had Lonsdale Force. And Lonsdale Force was made up of uh, South Stafford's 1, 3 and 11 para battalions. So remnants of the people who'd been attacking into the town. And a big part of that, the reason they're here is because the road runs directly into Arnhem and they fell back along here. And a road parallel to it, another 400 metres north of here, and they ran, so this was a natural area for those guys to end up. Um, you've also, just behind here, or to the, to the east of here, strictly speaking, further along the road, there's um, uh, where the um, airborne artillery was, first airborne artillery battery, who were using the howitzers that we talked to Paul Reed about in the museum the other day, um, directing their artillery fire. And occasionally they had to fire over open sites at Germans trying to push in through here, rather than lobbing their shells, firing them straight at them, because that's how close the enemy was. So we're going to walk the perimeter. That's the big idea. We're going to start. So we started here at the church. I'm not going to walk the whole thing in one podcast, because that would take a couple of hours. And um, much as I enjoy your company, you may enjoy mine or not. 
I'm not going to inflict that on you, but we're going to walk up and talk about various points along the way and I hope convey actually how small it is because the really striking thing is we're, this is also the narrowest point of the perimeter where we are. You go, I don't know, 800 metres uh, east of here, and uh, west of here rather, and you have run out. You're at West of Booing, 1st Border Regiment, their positions, and you are out the other side. So how small it is, is the thing that's coming home. Just here there's all houses that I think are what you'd call modern or more recent. There were gardens here and allotments and stuff, and so there were men dug into those as well. So it's not just about the strong point building here, it's about the open, there was open ground here. Crucial defence point. And the church, if you look at the church, um, it has battle damage on it. Um, you can hear the gravel underfoot. There's lots of visitors. It's, there's the striking thing about today is it's really, um, we're, we're recording this on the 17th. Um, it is very, very busy here today because it's the anniversary. And this is one of the pe places people come because it's in here where, and there's bullet holes all over the, the, the western end of the church is covered in battle damage. This is where Lonsdale famously gave his speech. You know, they, they weren't good enough for us in North Africa they aren't, or in Italy and they're not good enough for us now. Fight to the last round. So I don't know if I'd want to be told to do that, but there we go. So that's the old church and we're going to head north up the eastern side of the perimeter, so the Arnhem side of the perimeter, which is where the bulk of the units who fell back from Arnhem ended up defending the perimeter, the pocket. Right, so we're walking up the uh, eastern side of the perimeter. We've just come off Weverstraat, which is, uh, if you've got a map, you want to have a look. Um, it's the road that runs up from the old church, and the Oosterbeek church. Um, it's very nice and leafy and suburban here, and very, we, we, you get the feeling, expect this is what Oosterbeek was like before the battle. It was, it's sort of, Leafy, nice, roomy houses. I mean, one of the interesting things is everyone seems, everyone, it seems, has a, has a flag out on the front of their house commemorating the Battle of the, the Maroon um, uh, uh, flag with a sky blue Pegasus on it and airborne 17 September. But it, it's, it, you know, as ever with the battlefields, battles happen in all sorts of strange places. And here we are in... Uh, you know, the middle of a, of a very famous raging battlefield. This is a kid's playground just to my right here. We're in the middle of a very famous battlefield where, thing, where the most appalling things happened. And it just seems like uh, somewhere you might visit your nan, I don't know. Um, we walked uphill. That's the other thing. If, if, if you notice my breathing's a little... I'm so unfit. We've walked uphill from the river, and one of the interesting things about around here is the way the ground moves. Um, uh, the Germans, to get... You can see, actually, why the perimeter's laid out like it was, because the Germans have got to come uphill to reach most of the British positions, uh, which, obviously, is, is really important. At the bottom, as well, there's a corner that, a tank, that tanks would have to come around. Um, so you'd... You'd obviously... You'd, you'd, sighted anti-tank guns so that the moment anyone poked their nose around the corner you got them before they could get you and that's what a lot of this ground clearly offered um, allied soldiers also with curling and turning windy lanes and streets where one side of the street was British 
the middle of the street was contested, the other side of the street was in the hands of the enemy. So, and you're really, and that's all happening in this really rather nice place. I mean, it's rather lovely here. At right now, to our left, we've, we've taken a slight detour around it, is the Tuffelberg Hotel, which famously was an aid station. Um, it's a big, big building, bigger than the Hartenstein, which is just, I mean, the Hartenstein's only like 300 metres from here through the woods, 400 metres. Everything's 400 metres. Um, it's a big, imposing white building, so there's Tuffelberg on it. And that was one of the big aid stations uh, during the battle where British and German wounded were tended to where both sides knew there was an aid station there, so there was no, you weren't allowed to um, shell or attack it, supposedly. Um, and the notable thing about it is, I turn around, I look back, and we can see the main crossroads where the Schurnord is, which is another very famous Arnhem building. So we're gonna walk up there, probably gonna take us a couple of minutes. Um, we'll edit the sound of me panting my way uphill, and we'll talk about the Schurnord in a minute. Okay, so we're now at the main crossroads in Oosterbeek. Um, uh, the signs on the road say Zentrum to my left, because I'm facing south on the crossroads. Zentrum to my left, which is down to Arnhem. Then sign for the Airborne Museum, then Dorf and Renkum, which is where uh, one of the big drop, drop zones, landing zones was. Anderrechtigen, which I mean, assume means other routes, which is north up the other side of Oosterbeek, and again, the edge of the perimeter. And we are in where 4th Parachute Brigade kind of ended up. This block here. And you've the Schurnard Hotel, you've got um, uh, uh, the Vreevik Hotel. I can't do Dutch, right? <laughs> and there's a photograph here on a, on a poster illustrating, it's a burned out Jeep, and it's, a, it's an ambulance Jeep actually, because you can see, the, you can see the, um, the rig at the back for putting uh, stretches on, for putting gurneys on. Um, and this was where the Germans, it's a nice long straight road, so they, they tried pushing armour up here, it was quite difficult. And the, so basically, what we get into here is, in the perimeters, is how you've got different environments for fighting in. So down at the bottom, you've got the church, it's a strong point. There's the corner that the Germans are trying to push through. You've got those, what were allotments, market gardens down there, men dug into. Then up here, we've got buildings used as strong points, buildings used as hospitals as well. And the Germans had learned from um, uh, their experience at the bridge, but actually the thing to do, really, was to send an armoured vehicle right up to the side of a building, shell it until everyone was either killed or ran away, and then move on to the next one. So the airborne knew that what they had to do was stop the tanks getting near enough, get armoured vehicles, self-propelled guns, and always tanks, and get them, and you can hear it's busy, this is a busy crossroads as evidenced by a European scooter man there. Um, and there's coats coming in, tour parties, there's a tour party there waving at us. Um, I'm not being rude about them. We're not live, so I can say what I want. Um, and it uphill into his big itself. So, so what the airborne had to do was, with anti-tank guns one way or another, stop tanks, with piots, stop tanks, or with gammon bombs, drop bombs on tanks, which meant that they had to send out fighting to patrols to find out where the armour was, look for the armour, hunt it, chase it down and destroy it before the Germans could come up to a building and fire shells into a building with phosphorus shells, flamethrowers, because they used a load of French tanks, Char B French tanks, they used a load of those with flamethrowers at one point to try and dislodge the airborne men here. But this was, there's a very famous painting that echoes the photo that we're looking at here. 
this was kind of the the center point and we are only we i mean we are a gnat's kneecap um you can you can spit on the hartenstein from here and you really do get the feeling a push through here and it's a wide open space a tank getting loose and getting up there they'll be right through game over um and again, it's James's thing. You walk the ground. You walk this ground because we've we've done the long bit uphill. The the next stretch to the top of the perimeter um, before it collapsed at one point, it was withdrawn at one point, is that only. I mean, there's another five minute walk, and the the sense really of how impolitely on its ass first airborne division was by September the 21st is really illustrating itself just by walking this space. Okay, so we're now at the very top of the perimeter, coming up to Ustabik Station and the railway line that um, the railway line that dictates so much of how this battle was fought. And we've walked up the hill um, from the Shornod and back down, so past the glider pilots' positions, past 156 Paris positions, um, and a series of streets that run uh, to the west downhill from here, from this main road going up the side of it we, and we walked pretty much in a straight line from the church where we started this walk and this is the top end this is the corner and this is the railway crossing where you could control traffic in and out if you were if that's what you were trying to do so for the germans to control the, the british in and out of here and the british to control the germans in and out of here but we are at the very end of the perimeter and back back from here there's a modern block of flats here but back from here is where the king's own scottish border is we're at the top right hand corner of the perimeter and you look down there's a road we can look down in fact we'll cross i don't know what dutch jaywalking rules are there's a road down there and that is the that now at right angles to the main road we've walked up heading east heading west rather is the new is the other other side of this perimeter and we've walked this in i don't know 20 20 20 25 minutes up the hill back down again and to the end and we're going to we're going to walk a bit more but what you have here is king's own scottish borderers who'd been attached to fourth parachute brigade in the exchange of units that happened on the on the monday night once fourth parachute brigade had arrived and they were pretty much intact so they were able to organize themselves properly around here, around a place called the, that was called the White House. And they fought in, it's all very, this bit's very built up in contrast to the woodland out to the west or the gardens down to the south. This bit's very built up and this was intense urban house-to-house -house fighting. Um, I mean, you know, there's no best bit here. <laughs> there's no best place to be. <laughs> uh, but again, you're struck by the, I'm struck by the geography again because you've got that. If you've got a great long street like that and it's got a dip in it, as Paul Reed pointed out to me, there's a dip and you could get a six pounder anti tank under that. And so the Germans would come along and they'd, you'd be able to shoot the tank in its belly because of its exposure on the, on the incline in the road. So they're using absolutely every inch and every contour of the ground here to defend themselves. Uh, there's a train going by in the background because the railway line dictates everything and uh, in the town the railway line is incredibly important to how this 
how the battle played out and in the woods. I mean, it's and there it is on the map. And I wonder if they thought of that in the middle of the week, the week before they came here. Um, but we're walking now around the side, the top of the perimeter um, through what was the edge of the King's Own Scottish Borders, Seven Cosby's position. Um, and this bit's even, this book, I mean, I think in the space of me talking to you, us crossing the road and me talking to you, this block of houses ends. Um, because it's tiny here. It's tiny and, and they're not fighting the battle they came in to fight. That's the other thing to remember. Yeah, we're, we're, this is it. We're at the, there's a road on our left coming up and that is the end of this, end of this block of houses that was the corner piece of the perimeter. And then they pulled back um, from here, like half a block, because it got too difficult to defend. On the Graf van Rechtenweg. There we go. So, the, so the, the, what, what happened by the end of the week, um, once the perimeter was sort of established and once the bridge had been, had been uh, uh, recaptured by the Germans, is the Germans get into this sort of, they get into a routine. So every morning, the entire perimeter is heavily mortared. Every morning. And they call it the morning hate. In the, they tend to call it the morning hate in the war diaries. They're mortared. There are snipers... The Germans do probing attacks, attacks with anti-tank, uh, with um, self-propelled guns, which then have to be repelled with anti-tank weapons or with, with like six-pounders. Because the six-pounder the six is the, it's the gun that really, when you read about Arnhem, the defence of, of uh, uh, Osterbeck, six-pounder is the gun you hear a lot about. Uh, Baskerfield, Lance Sergeant Baskerfield wins his Victoria Cross, fighting. On one uh, six-pounder, and then the crew are killed, and he crawls over, the, and the gun's damaged, he crawls over the road, uses the other six-pounder, um, takes out a, bra a pair of German tanks. Um, and the, the Germans would, would do these things, they'd do probing attacks, so they tend to form up and the, in large numbers and then try and push through, accompanying a, accompanying a tank. So... Someone, someone mowing their lawn because it's, it's leafy and suburban here, and you know there's absolutely no hint of what went on here, which is good. I mean, apart from if it weren't for the airborne flags everywhere, you'd never know. You know, we're we're in Croydon or somewhere, and um, anyway, I think Croydon is twinned with Arnhem. Anyway, the um, fact fans, the the but the the German mode of attack when turned into this house-to-house -house thing. They also, they brought up Tiger tanks from <coughs> Germany because Arnhem's very well connected by rail to Germany. They brought Tiger tanks up, they brought King Tigers up, although the King Tigers were too heavy for the roads here, too big and would get stuck. And, and also, a high-velocity 88mm gun may be able to take out a Sherman tank a mile away, but it would just go straight through a house and out the other side and, not, and, not, and maybe not, maybe give everyone in the house a terrible fright but maybe not do them any harm. Now, what we are now, we've, so we've, in the space of me talking about the German tactical response here, we've walked to the second, to where the Cosby fell back to, 7th King's Own Scottish Borders fell back to, were glider-borne troops. Um, and this is another one of those, it's a, it's a narrow street, and this is, 
It's a plumber in his van. This is a narrow street and this is enemy one side, airborne the other, contesting it, holding on to it. And you can, you know, you can see that this is probably quite eminently defensible, defendable. See, it's just, it's just a normal Tuesday in Holland. There's people going about their daily here. And you can see why it's kind of, a, if you're defending this, you can hold someone up here. You can hold the enemy up. But obviously, you're running out of ammunition. The water was cut off long ago. You're running out of food. There's civilians in your basement because you're in someone's house. They're hiding in the basement. And they may, they may be... That may not be all that happy about you turning up and destroying their lovely village, helping yourself to their groceries, um, and getting their house shelled. So, if you if you think about it and you read the accounts, you can put you can you can feel the bitterness of the fighting here. I think. So we're working our way down this sort of block of uh, houses, and we're ending up in the where the recce company found themselves. Now the recce company, they had a very special job to do on D-Day of Market Garden which was to jump in their jeeps after landing. So the, the men were parachuted in, the jeeps were glided in and they were to assemble, jump in their jeeps and drive with breakneck speed and get to the bridge first. Now, that didn't happen and it's quite interesting, the stuff surrounding the recce squadron and Major Guff, Goff, Guff, Goff, I never know. It's Darren Goff, isn't it? Major Goff, right? The stuff surrounding what happened on the afternoon of the 17th of September, surrounding the recce squadron, is almost impenetrable. It's almost impossible to work out what went wrong and why. What definitely happened is Urquhart called Goff back to see him because he'd heard that the recce squadron weren't getting through. Now, if the recce squadron's job is to get to the bridge as quickly as possible, calling him back to see him and in fact expecting Goff to drive around occupied Germany 60 miles behind enemy lines just kind of at his behest is pretty weird and they got ambushed the recce squadron and lost four guys on the first their first sort of foray <coughs> down the northern route um, uh, into Arnhem and and turned tail and came back there's one way of looking at that that you know that the, the that, that they were then going to go and probe and find another place. Or it's kind of symptomatic of the way there was a bit of a lack of urgency on the day of the 17th of September, people not pressing things home. And if the big prize is Arnhem Bridge and winning the war, then that ambush maybe suggests that they thought, oh, sod this, or something. I don't know. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of discussion around it, a lot of controversy around it. But here we are where the recce squadron were when they were meant to be at the bridge and we're mile, we are miles from the bridge and we're just coming, we should be, if I've met, read this map right, we're just coming back I think to the Utrechtsweg and then we'll get a glimpse of the Hartenstein because that's how small this thing is. Again, we're, it's really coming home how tiny this area is. So I was just talking about the recce squadron and we've, we've come... Uh, we're on the stretch of open, sort of green, uh, um, opposite the Hartenstein, with houses on the corner, where there's a there's a reconnaissance corps memorial dedicated to the men of the first airborne reconnaissance squadron, known as the Freddie Goff Squadron, who fought so valiantly from 17th to 25th Arnhem, 
1944 in the Oosterbeek and Arnhem area. So there's me telling stories about him, and, and um, he appears out of the wood to admonish me. And they did fight valiantly and gallantly, but they absolutely screwed up on the first day. And I don't think any other, it's hard to see any other way, and Urquhart definitely contributed to that sort of torpor on the first day. And, you know, if your idea is you arrive with great surprise, squandering it is a bad idea. Now, there are woods here, so we've walked up from the river, from the church, strong point of the church, the gardens that were there, up the street that was enemy one side, um, airborne the other, then into the, into the middle of Oosterbeek, the crossroads, the wide road, the Utrechtsweg, then the really dense housing to the north of the perimeter, and now it's woodland. And these woods are where the western, where the western edge of the perimeter was, and so you've yet another kind of battlefield in this tiny area with men dug into the woods here. And a lot of the, a lot of the photos um, that come from the Arnhem battle are of this bit, actually, are of the woods. There's a tree line, there's a, an open field here with, I don't know, maize or sunflowers in it or something. And the other side, there's a tree line. And that's the edge of it where the border regiment were. And that is the Arnhem perimeter, which runs then south from here down to the river, the same kind of distance we walked up from the river. And that's it. It's, it's, so this is, this is woodland, so you've branches on the ground, leaves. I mean, we're here exactly the same time of year, so this is exactly what it would look like. The trees are just beginning to turn. There's a little bit of brown in the trees, but not too much. Um, there's crops that haven't yet been harvested. Uh, but obviously, a shell burst in a tree means splinters everywhere. So you're digging in here, and this would have all been slit trenches. These positions would have all been slit trenches that then run down to the river from here in blocks and around the various roads. So there you go. I hope you have enjoyed our tour of the Arnhem Oosterbeek perimeter. And we're going to look at some other places as well, I expect. Uh, basically, I'm uh, not unlike a kid in a sweet shop here.